All right, well, good morning, New Life Church. How's everybody? Everybody good? Pastor Prentice seems to be doing all right today. All right, well, listen, let me invite you to open your Bibles with me. We're going to be in two places today mainly, Exodus, New, uh, Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and then New Testament, the book of Ephesians. Exodus chapter 6, and then Ephesians chapter 2. So put a marker, pen, or something in Ephesians 2. We'll be there in just a few minutes, but we're going to start out in Exodus chapter 6. Um, we are starting a new a message series today built about around Easter and about everything that it means. And so uh, Exodus 6 is, is kind of the, it's the foundational, foundational text about this whole thing. And the series is called He Is. And we're going to look, uh, Exodus 6 lays out four promises that God makes to his people. And he specifically made to, to the nation of Israel. And it applies to us today. And we'll discover those meanings in the New Testament as they apply for us today as well. But we're going to be looking at these four promises and what they mean and what it entails. And again, it's called He Is. Several years ago, there was a song, a popular song. Some of you might remember this by Aaron Jeffrey called He Is. I'm not going to sing it. Thank God. But I, I, I want to, I do want to speak these lyrics. It's titled He Is, and it goes through the 66 books of the Bible, and it says this, In Genesis, He is the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, He is our high priest. In Numbers, He is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, He's Moses' voice. In Joshua, He is salvation's choice. In Judges, He is the lawgiver. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. And in Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he's true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. And in Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and the season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. And in Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. And in Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing 
in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, and Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. And in Romans, he is the grace of God. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the Godhead Trinity. In Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in the Revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Son of Man. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Great I Am. He's the Alpha and Omega, our God and our Savior. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. And when time is no more, He is. It'd be awesome to memorize that. I should work on that sometime. That's the whole book of the Bible. That's the gospel. That is it. 66 books, 66 statements. If you ever forget who he is, that would be a good little song. I know it's an older tune, but the words are still timeless. But he is. Let's look at Exodus 6 today. You can follow along on the screens on the screen. Hey, it's working today too, by the way. If you didn't notice that already. Wasn't last week special though, those of you who were here last week? No screen. No projector. No preacher. <laughs> Just God's people, sincere. Doesn't change today. We're still here. And sincere. Exodus 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand, and he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. And you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. And therefore say to the people of Israel, Tell them, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
and I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray over this today. Father God, we are thankful for today that you are here. And we know that, we recognize that. And we are thankful for your word. Now today as you speak to us, give us ears to hear and a life to be open to it. God, and just help us to walk in humility. To live and surrender to you. And walk in your ways according to your will for each of our lives I thank you today that you are alive and your voice your voice is heard your voice is heard we want to hear you today and we thank you we honor you and we bless you and we thank you for your word now in Jesus name everybody say amen amen he is. God speaks to Moses here. They're on the edge of about, of about to be delivered out of Egypt. They're, God's about to take them out of Egypt. Two things you need to know about this, about this scenario, this, this plot here, is this. is Egypt is a type and shadow of this world. Pharaoh is a type and shadow of Satan, the devil. And God is promising his people that he's going to take them somewhere. He's got a place, a land called the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he said, I, I, I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, and I'm promising you today, Moses, that I hear the people's prayer. I hear their moans, their groans, and I can see the place and the predicament of their life and know that is not where they should be. I want them in a place that I have carved out for them. And he says, he says, but Moses, he said, I'm, I'm speaking to you as Yahweh. Now there's a difference here. You need to understand this. He says, I am Yahweh. I speak to you as Yahweh. I reveal myself as Yahweh, Jehovah, which is the personal name of God. Okay. It's his personal proper name. And he said, but to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I revealed myself to them as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. It's a descriptive name. To you, Moses, and to the people today, I'm saying, I am personal. In days of past, I was descriptive, but today, I am personal. In the past, they knew me as what I could do. In the present, today, you will know me for who I am. In fact, that was one of the very first things God told Moses after he saw the burning bush, his burning bush experience in chapter 3 and 4 and, there, and right in there. He said, when, I, when you go to the people, you need to tell them, I am has sent you. Capital I, capital A, capital M, I am has sent you. And here again, God is, is, is reassuring Moses. He said, look, Moses, I will personally be involved in your life. And there's four ways he said, I'm going to personally be involved in your life. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to fulfill your life. And that sounds like a good total package right there. That God says, hey, I'm going to save you from your sin. 
I'm going to deliver you from your bondage. I'm going to redeem you for your purpose. And I'm going to fulfill you because you will be mine and I will be yours. And he says, and, and it won't be a descriptive thing. It won't be something you will just talk about that God did. It will be something you will experience for yourself. See, salvation is not something that you can live through someone else's life. Their story is great, their story is inspiring, and we all have it, and we'll talk about that. But salvation has to be experienced on a personal level, individually. Individually, personally. And God is setting this whole thing up with Moses and and the nation of Israel and getting them prepped for their future and for the generations that would come after them. And he's saying, look, I will personally be involved in their life and in your life. And he says, these four promises, these four promises became a foundation to to God's people. Later, after they are delivered and they're rescued and they're out of Egypt, God, right before they're about to to be set apart and, and rescued from that, in chapter 12, they, 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 God institutes what's called the Passover festival. Well, it's not a festival at the time it becomes a festival, but he's, it creates that and starts that. And that is a time every year that God told his people, he said, every year you are to set aside a special time to remember me. Remember how I saved you. Remember how I delivered you. Remember how I redeemed you. Remember how I fulfilled your life. Passover. It takes place this year in just a couple of weeks, Easter weekend. Good Friday, we will celebrate that. We will come together for a time to remember. At 6 p.m., we're going to have a candlelight communion worship gathering where it will be a time to remember and reflect how God has saved us, delivered us, redeemed us, and how he fulfills our life. And of course, on Easter Sunday, that Sunday, the third day, the day that God rolled away the tomb and caused Jesus to come out of the grave. He's the resurrection and the life. We celebrate the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so he said, every, every year you are to set aside that time. And so this, these four promises laid the groundwork, laid the framework, the foundation for that, a time to remember. And so here God is saying to them in Exodus 6, he's saying, look, he said, not only will I do Not only will I do, not only will I save you, will I deliver you, will I redeem you, and will I fulfill you, not only will I do, but I will also be. So God is bringing his description of who he is, linking it with who he personally is, and he's saying, now my people will not just know me for what I can do, but they will know me for who I am. And he goes on and he, and he lays that out and he says these things. He says, I am your Savior. I am your Deliverer. I am your Redeemer. I am your Fulfiller. So folks, wherever you are in life, anybody you might know in this world, wherever we are, we can never find true salvation, deliverance, redemption, or fulfillment apart from God through Jesus Christ because not only can he do those things, but he is those things. Okay, he is that. So you need to understand right off the bat, as we enter this season of Easter, Passover, redemption, celebration of the resurrection of Christ Jesus, that you need to understand that it is all about Jesus. It all revolves around Jesus. Everything has to do with Jesus. Everything created for him and by him is through him. And it's all about 
Jesus. You need to understand that without Jesus, we will not and cannot know salvation, deliverance, redemption, or fulfillment. You can't save yourself, you can't deliver yourself, you can't redeem yourself, and you can't fulfill yourself because in all those attempts of doing any of those things, you'll always come up short and neither can another physical person save you, deliver you, redeem you, or fulfill you. It can only happen through Jesus Christ. Because not only can he do those things, but he is those things. He is Savior. And that's what we want to talk about today. He is Savior. Check this statement out on the screen. It says this. It says, it wasn't that I was bad and Jesus made me good. It was that I was dead and Jesus made me alive. See, that's what salvation is about. It's not about turning from bad to good. It's about coming from death to life, being fully alive. And let's flip over to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first several verses here, the first 10 verses. This is a great text that that provides some uh, some insight and some detail about how God is Savior. And it's broken down into three things. And that is this, we're saved by grace, we're saved through faith, and we are saved to do the good things that God has plans for our life. Saved by grace, saved through faith, and saved to do his plan. All right, so we're going to look at those three things. Saved by grace through faith, and saved to do the good things God has planned for us. Let's look at verse 1 and The first part of this, he says, now the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So he first off starts off with this, and he reminds him, it's a reminder to us that before Christ, in our past, without Jesus, he says we were dead. We were spiritually dead. We're disconnected from God. We're not alive in our purpose. We don't know what forgiveness is all about. We don't know what the real love of God is all about. We're trying to make it on our own. He says, you're dead spiritually. You lived in sin. You did whatever you wanted to do. You followed your flesh. You obeyed the devil. And I know none of us want to give credit to that. Hey, we obey the devil. It doesn't mean we're like devil worshipers like that in the darkest, darkest sense. But apart from God, yes. And he says, before Christ, this is what your life was like. And he says, quickly, I want to remind you, not to just bring up, you know, make you feel bad, but he said, I want to remind you that, listen, what you have in God, it's a good thing. What you have in Christ Jesus, it's a life-changing thing. You used to be this way. You used to walk this way. You used to do whatever it was that pleased yourself, whatever you could find that would make you happy. In other words, you, try, you lived your life completely separated and apart from God himself. And he said, you continue to search, you continue to seek, you continue to try to find, you can continue to try to do whatever it was in your life that would try to bring you contentment and joy, happiness, satisfaction. 
Man, don't we want to be satisfied in our life? Don't we, aren't we looking for satisfaction? Try to find that perfect mate. Try to make us happy. Try to find that perfect job, making that perfect income to make us happy, satisfied. Nothing's wrong with any of those things except when we go that route apart from God. And God is not just a part of the equation, but he is the equation. He is. And so then he goes on. Let's look at saved by grace. We are saved by grace. He says, so he reminds them, he says, look, this is who you used to be. This is how you used to live your life. He said, but, verse 4, there's a big but there. But God. Preachers love this verse right here, by the way. But God. Christians should love this verse right here. But God. I once was lost in sin, but God. I once was living a life of chaos, but God. I once was driven by my desires, but God. I once was overcome by fear, but God. My marriage was on the brink of divorce, but God. My kids were hooked on drugs, but now, but God. Whatever you want to put before that in your life, now you have a big but right there. I'm so tempted to go to Sir Mix-a-Lot right now. <laughs> but God, I know, I won't. Because unlike God, I am not so rich in mercy. It says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That, that little statement, but God, appears in the Bible 584 times. That just tells us that we have a whole lot of stuff that could keep us from God's destiny and purpose for our life, but God. I think he was going over the top and making sure it got in here a whole lot of times, not a few times, not sprinkled, but 584 times to let us know that there are more but gods in our year than there are days in the year. There are more but gods in our life than there are our mistakes. And some of you, you're held captive by your mistakes. You're held captive by your fears. You're held captive by your circumstances. And God wants you to know, but God who is so rich in mercy and who loves you so much that you are saved by his grace and not from yourself. You are saved by his grace. That's how we're saved. And here's what his grace does. Two things that this, that this, little, that this text describes about his grace. Verse 6, it says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. 
God's grace, we're saved by his grace, and his grace does this. His grace raises us up. Not only is his grace a big cover-up in our life, not only does his grace cover our mistakes, not only does his grace cover our faults, not only does his grace cover our blemishes, not only does his grace do that, but his grace raises us up. It doesn't, if I just swept this floor and then I put it under this rug, it would just be right there still, right? And it's covered. You probably wouldn't even know it's there unless I peeled that rug back. But it stays right there. But here's what God's grace does. Not only does it cover, but his grace raises us up. His grace moves us up. His grace sets us on up here, sets us up here, well, I can see some of your heads up here. Some are shiny. <laughs> kind of like mine's starting to get. But this is what God's grace does. God's grace raises us up. It puts us above what was keeping us down. And, and right there in, in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, God raised us from the dead, seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So by faith, we are sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms. That we are not meant to have to be overtaken by the cares and the struggles and the conflicts of this world, even though they re they're real and they exist. It means that by God's grace, not only does he cover us, but his grace raises us up and puts us above above all of that stuff. Doesn't mean we're better than everybody in this world. It just means that because of God's grace, we don't have to live in the filth that this world has to offer. We live in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because we're saved by grace. And his grace raises us up. Some of you are living in the ditches of despair because you've not allowed God's grace to, you've allowed him maybe to cover you, but in some form of reason you've thought maybe God's grace isn't strong enough to raise you. But I want to tell you today, the truth of the gospel is this, is that God's grace is strong enough and powerful enough to raise you up. To raise you up. There is not a reason why any one of us can't live victoriously in the power of God in Christ Jesus because it's his grace. One of my old Bible college teachers, teachers used to say, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, he's paid the price for you. Whatever it is you need freedom from, whatever it is you need forgiveness for, whatever you need saving from in your life, it's only by God's grace in Christ Jesus that that can happen. You're not smart enough, big enough, brave enough, or whatever enough to save yourself. If you could, you would have already done it, and people would be following you around. But Jesus is the one who can save you. Not only does he, but he is Savior. And he saves us by his grace. His grace raises us up. I like this description of this grace right here. Listen to this. It says, it's the kindness of God exerting his holy influence upon me 
to turn me to Christ, to keep me in Christ, and to strengthen me in Christ by increasing my faith, my knowledge, and my affection to kindle the flame of my heart to live for him. That is what God's grace does. It's God's holy influence stepping into my life where I am unable, incapable of picking myself up, raising myself up. God's grace picks me up and raises me up and it's strong enough to not only bring me to him, keep me in him, but to strengthen me in him. And then on those days when I just feel overtaken and overcome by the weight of the world, by the temptations of my flesh, and by giving in to my sinful nature at times, it's God's grace that snatches me, oh, and picks me up and says, I will not let you stay where you are. I will raise you up and it feels uncomfortable, but I know my hand of grace is strong in your life that I will not let you stay where you want to stay, but I will bring you up to where I have called you to live. Now, before you hit me, let me fix that. <laughs> That's why I picked you, because you won't hit me back. <laughs> now, if I'd done that to Pastor Prentice now, I'd have got a mean South Paul, because he's a lefty, and he'll come around, and I wouldn't even know it. No, he's not like that. That's a strong shirt. Your buttons are still intact. But that is the grip of God's grace. That's the grip of God's grace. That's the strength of his hand. See, you think your sin has got you completely entangled. You think your past is so murky and muddied enough to keep you from moving forward. No. God's grip of his grace is stronger than anything you could ever face. Anything you have ever faced. I feel like there's some here today you still are allowing the pain of the past to be big in your life, to be strong in your life. And God wants you to know today that his grip of grace is big enough and strong enough to pull you up, to raise you up. It's the kindness of God that pulls us and draws us to him. Let's look at what grace does. Grace, verse 7, says this, so God can... Point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. No, we're saved by grace. Grace raises us up. But then here, verse 7 tells us this. Grace gives us a testimony. Mm. Grace gives us a testimony. That God wants to point to you as an example of his incredible wealth of grace and his kindness. To show the world, hey, this is how much I love you. Yeah, Jesus is that picture. But then in Christ, Christ in us, God can point to you. God can point to any one of us. 
and he can say, I want to show the world how much I love them because I want to show them your story, your testimony. We have a testimony. We have a story. We have something to share about how Jesus Christ is real and strong and vibrant and everything to us. And the world needs to hear and needs to see our story and our testimony. But in that testimony, may they see the grace of God. That somebody can look at your life and somebody can hear you talk and they can hear you say, wow, you used to be that way? That used to be going on in your life? You mean you, you, mean you were hooked on what? You mean you were always living in fear of what? You mean you were broke to what? You mean, you, you mean to tell me that your life was like that and now it's like this? How? How, how do you get from that to this? Well, it's like this and like that and like this and no. How do you get from that to this? How do you escape that? How do you get free of that? How can you be forgiven of so much? I mean, how did that get fixed in your life? Well, it's the grace of God. I don't deserve it. I sure didn't do anything to earn it. All I did was just let God's grip get me. And I know I'm not perfect. I, 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 ha I haven't arrived yet. No, if you'll look close, you'll see my blemishes. If you'll look real close, you'll see my faults. All right? But here's the thing. I'm not who I used to be. And I know I'm not where I need to be. But I am sure on my way. Not by any measure of my own accord, but only by the grace of God. Grace raises us up. Grace gives us a testimony. People need to hear your story. People need to hear how you got saved. People need to hear how you're living saved. I know some of us are just trying to stay saved. But the more we talk about the grace of God, the more it will not just cover us, but it will keep us raised up to live saved. People need to hear your story. Amen? There's people you, I know some of you like, man, I hate my job. There's somebody on your job that needs to hear the story of God's grace in your life. Man, I don't like my neighborhood, man. I don't like where I'm living. There's somebody, I guarantee you, somebody around you that needs to hear your story of grace. Because he is Savior, amen? All right, let me move on. Verse eight, we're saved by grace. Here's the second part. We're saved through faith. You got a few more minutes? Saved through faith. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed through faith. Everyone say faith. And you can't take credit for that. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. 
So, no one of us can boast about it. Wow. Saved through faith. All right, grace is awesome. Grace is powerful, but man, you sure got to believe it, right? You got to possess faith. You got to just believe that. And it's not a mental belief per se. It's not limited at just in your, in your noggin, in your head. Listen to what this means. There's a threefold meaning to this word faith, saved through faith. It means this conviction to follow Jesus. Do you believe this thing? That means you have conviction that you're going to follow him and not make excuses for why you don't. Right? It's faith means this, a trust and assurance to obey the word of God. Not do what I want to do. Faith, it's a confidence to rely upon and entrust myself completely to God. Not relying on myself or anything else. It puts it all on God. And here's, hear this, God is able to handle everything we throw his way. So many people in this world don't like our God, don't like Jesus, for a lot of reasons. But I think one reason is because grace is his gift. And we don't do anything to get it. We must possess Faith saved by grace, saved through faith, a conviction to follow him, a trust to obey him, and a confidence to rely upon him. That says a whole lot. That says a whole lot. Conviction to follow, trust to obey, confidence to rely upon. Who do you and I, who do you rely upon when you can't do it on your own? When things aren't going your way, when things seem to just are breaking apart, falling apart at the seams, unraveling, things aren't coming together, who do you rely on? He says, salvation, it's not based upon all the good that you and I can do. No. It's based on the faith that Jesus is good as our Savior. You hear that? Listen to, look at these two verses here found in Romans, in the book of Romans. 1.16 says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Chapter 3, verse 21 and 20 through 23 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our 
faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Everyone, everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So Paul not only echoes, but continues to supplement the fact that we are, salvation is God's gift to mankind. And it's not something we earn and do on our own, out of our good works, out of our good things, but it happens by faith when you and I believe. And it's not a mental belief in and of its own, it's conviction, it's trust, it's confidence, not in ourself, but in the finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross. That is how it happens. But then verse 10, I'm going to wrap up with this. Verse 10. Saved by grace, saved through faith, and then lastly, Paul tells us we're saved to not just sit around and wait for the glory train of heaven to come and call us home. No, he said we're saved to do the good things that he has planned for our life. See, that's one big reason why God didn't just take us on up when we called on Jesus and join him in heaven and leave this earth. Because on this earth, he says, I made you new in Christ because I've got good things for you to do. That's what verse 10 says. In essence, he says, we are God's masterpiece, his handiwork, his workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Long ago, God knew what he wanted us to do. He knew the kind of life he wanted you to live. He knew the things that he tailored you for, fashioned you for, framed you for, made you for, created you for. And in Christ Jesus, you're made anew in order to do what he wants you to do, what he has for you to do. Because what he has for you and what he wants you to do is better than anything we could dream up for our own self. Because it's in him. It, 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 it is, revolves around him. So here it is. God, by his grace, by us believing, saves us. When he saves us, he saves us to also do the good that he has planned for us. So it says it's evident God's, we are God's masterpiece, his handiwork. It says that he is the potter, we are the clay, and his hand is what works on our life. So God is at work in us. God is at work in me to keep me in the shape he wants me to be in in order to do what he has for me to do on this life, in this life. You follow me? So what does God have planned for us? What does he have planned for my life? What is it that I'm not doing or maybe I need to be doing or need to be looking into doing? What is it? How do I need to be living my life? What does he have planned for me? It's for him to know. It's for us to find out. I love this quote by this author, Cindy Trim. She says, whatever God births in you, he is a big God who created a big world for you to do something big in it. I love that. I love that as a big God. Created this great big world for his people to do something big. For him.
But before I go and do, I must be. Exodus 6, God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I will be. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was known as what I could do. Now I'm bringing the two together. Not only will I do, but I will also be. See, friend, before we can go do, we have to be. We need to be living in his hand, letting him shape us. Before I go do, before I, go do I need to be. I need to be living by his grace through faith, not of all the good that I can do on myself, trying to make life happen the way I want it to, trying to keep myself in a certain way. No, I live by his grace. I must be living by his grace. And before I go do, I must be saved. That my salvation can't be based upon my good merits my faithful church attendance, my solid scripture memorization, on my offering or my tithe giving. My salvation is not merited out on any of that. It's not weighed out upon any of that. It's weighed out on whether or not I believe. I have faith. I have conviction to follow. I have trust to obey God and I have a confidence to rely upon Him. And friend, let me just say, if, if there's ever more day and time where we need to rely on God, this is it. Our economy's unstable, our government's unstable, our world is unstable. And there is not a president to be elected who can fix mankind's problems. They can help but they won't ever remedy the issue at hand because the issue at hand is a sin issue. It's a heart issue and only God can save because He is Savior. He uses people, but He is the one who does it. So I must be before I go do. I want to go and do all that God has. I want to live for it. I want to accomplish what he has for my life. I want to go where he says go, and I want to go and do what he says to do with my life. But I got to make sure I am being first. I am being shaped by his hand. That I am living by his grace. I'm living as a saved one. Let's bow our heads. Pastor Lindsay noted earlier in our following Easter weekend that we will be having water baptisms, which is, in short, is an outward expression of an inward belief 
that when you go into the water, Scripture calls it like a water grave. You go down into the water like Jesus went into the tomb. And then when you're raised up out of the water, it's like Jesus was resurrected so that you are, you are publicly saying, I have dying to myself. I'm being buried in Christ and I'm being raised up anew in Christ. It's the public display of your inner faith. And God tells every Christian to be water baptized. It's a public thing. You need to let the world know I'm living for Jesus. You need to let the saved know I'm living for Jesus. So I want to tell you, if you've never been baptized, for whatever reason, you really need to be baptized. Scripture tells us to do so. That if you want to hang around and ask some questions about that, feel free to ask. You need to get baptized. It would be an honor, a privilege to be able to baptize those of you who have not been baptized. And then I want to tell you this with your head bowed, if you are unsure about your relationship with in Christ Jesus today, for whatever, whatever it is that's going on, it's got you rattled, frazzled, unsure about your salvation. You might have prayed prayers before, you might have responded to altar calls, and had people pray for you. But today, the here and now, at this point, in time, at this moment in time, for some reason there's some doubt in your life. Will you lift your hand so that I can pray for you? And you're saying, I, I want to I be assured. I want my life to be in Christ. I want to be saved by that kind of grace you're talking about. I want to live with that kind of faith that no matter what, I'm going to follow. That no matter what, I'm going to obey. No matter what, I'm going to rely on God and God alone and nobody else. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Let's keep our head bowed. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, we are here today in your presence. And we have heard from your word. And we want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to be faithful to you, God. Sometimes we're, we fall short. We know that. Sometimes, God, we just completely get turned upside down and whatever reason, sometimes we don't really truly walk according to your ways, living by your word. But today, though, those who've lifted their hand, acknowledging, I want assurance. I pray right now that you would move upon our hearts and you would help us to know 
first of all, that you love us. You're rich in mercy and you love us so much that living life your way is way better than living life our own way. Right now I ask, Holy Spirit, come. Touch our life. Fill our lives. I ask that you would truly move upon us now. May we know your forgiveness. Just in your, everybody in your own way right now, take 30 seconds. Ask God the Father to bring forgiveness in your life. Just ask you to forgive us, oh God, of our shortcomings. Things we, are, we know about, things that kind of we don't really think a whole lot about, but we fall short. We ask you to forgive us right now of our sin. Forgive us, O oh God, and pour out your grace in our life. I pray that we would know your grace in a greater way of not just covering us, but raising us up. Oh, and Holy Spirit, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. May we live like we're really saved because we really are saved. May we be the kind of people the world needs to hear from the kind of life the world needs to look at to see what real love, joy, and forgiveness in God is all about. Not snooty, not stuck up, not judgmental, not finger pointing our way through life. But may people in our walk in our path, see your grace at work in us, that you are working on us, God. You are working on me that I'm a work in progress. And that we are on our way today. I pray you would lift condemnation off our life. And you would wrap us in the cloak of grace. I thank you now for the reality of your presence, the reality of the gospel, the reality of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.